Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. Two man car. Jess Romero, Paul Clay. Thursday show. Today we're going to talk about brave men. Men with courage, men with a spine, men with fortitude, because that's exactly what the what is expected of a man. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of fortitude. And uh, we receive that gift in the sacrament of confirmation through the laying on of hands of the bishop. We are commissioned as soldiers of Christ. We're going to profile a Protestant of goodwill and a Catholic bishop. Again, two men that uh, exemplified what I would call extra or, or heroic virtue in their lifetime. Paul, What's uh, are you ten eight, my friend? Yeah, just ready to go. Uh, so yeah, let's start with the first one, Paul. It's we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. So it's a long article. We're just going to go right to the salient parts that are relevant for the discussion. So yeah, the great novelist, English novelist Charles Dickens, spent hours studying himself, studying himself in it as he practiced for what would become immensely popular readings of his classic story, A Christmas Carol, which had been circulating in America for 25 years. Charles Dickens gave his first public performance with great success on December 2nd, 1867, at the Tremont Temple in Boston. This was the same temple at which Frederick Douglass and thousands of others had waited for, for word of Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation just a few years earlier. And Frederick, Frederick Douglass, by the way, was a slave. In his epistle to the Romans, St. Paul described what Franklin experienced and what he annually experienced with our New Year's resolutions. The good that I would, the, the good that I would, that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. When he was a relatively unknown lawyer in Illinois in his early 30s, Abraham Lincoln wrote a letter to his good friend Joshua Speed showing that he had experienced what Franklin, St. Paul, and Hamlet had experienced. Lincoln writes, I must regain my confidence in my own ability to keep my resolves when they are made. In that ability, you know, I once prided myself as the only or at least the chief gem of my character, that gem I lost, how and when, you too, well, you too well know. I have not yet regained it, and until I do, I cannot trust myself in any, any matter of much importance. Mm. Franklin was not wrong to aspire, however, imperfectly, to be a man whose resolves are what they ought to be, and, and who keeps his resolves. Such a man is worthy of complete trust. Lincoln was hesitant to trust himself in any matter of much importance until he knew he was such a man. And he became one so that in the greatest crisis of the country, he could, with other utter rectitude, invite a whole people to join him and highly resolve that this nation under God shall, shall have a new birth of freedom 
And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. His example, which he learned from the original American revolutionaries, gives us eternal reason to hope that though the flesh is weak, we might yet ourselves succeed in living up to the most needful New Year's resolution and highly resolve to live the firmness with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Paul, pick it up from there. This is the meat of the article that you're going to pick up. Okay. On New Year's Day, 1863, after a sleepless night and through shaking hands at a New Year's reception in the White House, President Lincoln returned to his office to sign the document he had promised 100 days before. On September 22nd, Lincoln had proclaimed that on the first day of January, in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall then be thenceforward and forever free. Now the day had come. Alan Guelzo tells the story in his fine book, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, as Lincoln prepared to sign the historic document at first hand was trembling. Uh, at first, his hand was trembling so much uh, from all the handshaking that he couldn't do it. He told those present, I never in my life felt more certain that I was doing right than I do in signing this paper. If my name, however, goes into history, <clears throat> it will be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. If my hand trembles when I sign the proclamation, all who examine the document hereafter will say he hesitated. When his hand recovered its steadiness, he wrote out his full name as he did only for state documents then smiled and said, that will do. The proclamation was the cause of a great jubilation among many abolitionists, black and white, in Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and other cities. Salutes of a hundred cannons were fired on New Year's Day. In Tremont Temple in Boston, Frederick Douglass spoke to a mostly black crowd of 3,000. When the proclamation was read out loud, the joyous enthusiasm manifested uh, what manifested was beyond description. The whole audience rising to their feet, shouting at the tops of their voices, throwing up their hats. But the jubilee was far from universal. Many, not just in the South, condemned the proclamation as, as the act of a dictator. The newly elected Democratic governor of New York denounced it as bloody, barbarous, revolutionary, an unconstitutional scheme. There was talk that the people of the West would withdraw from a war they had entered for the sake of union and, uh, and which Lincoln had turned into an anti-slavery crusade. Many feared that union armies would, would mutiny. The border states on which Lincoln depended desperately worried that the proclamation would send tens of thousands of escaped slaves pouring across their borders. No one understood the political vulnerabilities of the proclamation better than Lincoln. 
Following his September announcement, the Democratic Party declared political war on emancipation and spoke of the proclamation as the death knell of the Republican Party. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The party of death. On the, other, the Democrats. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. On the other side, the radical Republicans, radical Republicans were forced, uh, excuse me, were furious that Lincoln hadn't made emancipation universal and immediate, and they threatened to cut off funding for the war. Lincoln also understood better than anyone the constitutional challenge to emancipation. He took the greatest care to draft the proclamation terms that he could be defended that could be defended before the highest court in the land, and he knew well that it was vulnerable to a hostile or even a merely scrupulous court. On New Year's Day, in the reception just before signing the proclamation, he had shaken the hand of Supreme Court Justice Roger Taney before whose court emancipation would certainly not be safe. As it turned out, Lincoln did win a second term. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I skipped over that part. Um, in any case. Yeah. In any case, Lincoln was keenly aware that it was far from certain he would win a second term as president, as his successor would in all likelihood be a foe to, of emancipation. Even if he won a second term, it was by no means certain that the Union would win the war. Failure to win would certainly put an end to emancipation. And even if the Union did win, when it was over, what, what standing would the proclamation have, given that Lincoln had felt constitutionally constrained to issue it as a matter of military necessity? Constitutionally and politically, the Emancipation Proclamation was a profound mixture of a great statesman's goodness, caution, and daring. As it turned out, Lincoln did win a second term, and the Union did win the war. And so, in the last weeks of his he left no means unapplied to getting the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery approved by Congress, a constitutional amendment he said would be a king's cure for all the evils. It, wind, it, it, it winds the whole thing up. He did not live to see the 13th Amendment ratified, but was the consummation. This, this was a something. This was the consummation. Yeah, this was a consummation. Yeah, the, yeah, consummation, the completion of the proclamation he had signed on New Year's Day two years before. The proclamation he called my greatest and most adoring, uh, enduring contribution to the history of the world. The central act of my administration and the great event of the 19th century. Wow. Courageous man. He, 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 you, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, this almost split the country in half. And once again, yeah. uh, when you look at the Democrat Party, I mean, this, they, they, they're the party of death. They're the party of slavery. They're the party of secession. Yeah. They're the party of segregation. They're the party of, uh, of same-sex marriage. They're the party of abortion. Yeah. I'm trying to find yeah. something good to say about them, but I can't. We'll be right back. We'll continue talking about this brave man, this man of goodwill, Abraham Lincoln. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. We're talking about brave men today. A man of goodwill, a Protestant Christian, Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents of this country, and a Catholic bishop, Blessed Cardinal Clemens. Uh, they call him the Lion of Munster. Uh, we're going to be talking about him in the next segment. Paul, about uh, the issue of slavery, let me give you a little definition of slavery from the dictionary. Slavery is a form of forced labor in which people are considered to be or treated as the property of others. That's a working definition of the word slavery. But mm. when you look at, but when you look at uh, slavery historically, truth be told, guess what? It was practiced around the globe. The Hebrews practiced slavery. The Egyptians practiced slavery. The Greeks practiced slavery. The Romans practiced slavery. Uh, the, the fact is, most people saw nothing wrong with it. Uh, Chinese practiced slavery. Japanese practiced slavery. But that's one of the things that makes America great. I'll tell you why. Is that slavery was outlawed in the U.S. in the 1860s by the stroke of Abraham Lincoln's pen and a civil war. But there's still countries right now that still practice slavery. In Islamic oh. countries, they still practice slavery right now. They call it dimitude. That's the word that's used. They won't say the word slave. They'll say that person there is a dimitude. He's got to pay me taxes and he's got to do this, that, and the other. He's like an indentured service. But uh, again, here's and the, whole the, system, the whole caste system in India is... Uh, and, and, and Hinduism. You know. In Hinduism, yeah. that's all. That's also yeah. a, a soft yeah. form of slavery as well. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you who I'm going to give credit for eradicating slavery: the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It was Jesus. It was Jesus that eradicated. Why? Because slavery was tolerated, but it yes. was the words of Jesus that, that, for example, like in Luke six thirty one, do to others as you would have them do to you. Matthew 7, 12, do to others whatever you would have them do to you. This is the law and the prophets. This is called the golden rule. You'll find that these wise sayings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's, the, it's these Christian ethics that he unleashed verbally that, and, and this Christian morality that little by little started abolishing slavery. I mean, it was a yes. slow grind. Don't get me wrong. But it was the wise sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ that crumbled the institution of slavery brick by brick. I mean, it didn't happen yeah. overnight, you know, because yeah. like they say, the wheels of justice grind slowly, but they grind yeah. to find powder. And that's what happened to slavery. The words of Jesus caused this institution to die off slowly. You know, Jess, uh, there's a reason why sacred scripture refers to our bondage to sin uh, and the fact that we are slaves to sin. So, you know, everybody knows what slavery is. Everybody knows the horrors of slavery. Everybody knows that a slave has no rights of his own, and he's basically uh, commanded to do certain things against his will. And guess what, Just God has signed the Emancipation Proclamation in the, in the, in the, uh, in the life, in the death, and the resurrection yes. Yes. of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. He has emancipated the human race. And like the slaves in, in, in this country, 
when Lincoln did sign the Emancipation Proclamation, many of them uh, still acted as slaves. How many of us just still don't realize the, that we that have we're free. In Christ? Yeah, yeah. The the debt that was paid. Uh, you know, if we can just get a hold of that. I mean, who would want to go back to being a slave, right? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Uh, let me tell you something. There's a if the Son shall make you free, sacred scripture says, you shall be free indeed. Folks, open your eyes. Look at what's going on all around us. Just talked about the evil. He he had trouble finding something good to say about a certain party. Listen, um, and I'm amazed, Jess, that, you know, uh, it's unfortunate, but how many black Americans are part of the culture of death and support the Democratic Party? And how many Hispanic how many? Americans? And how many Hispanic you know, Americans? And how many, you know what I'm saying? Who has bewitched you? Bewitched you, you I mean, old foolish yeah. relations. Yeah, I mean, don't you understand that uh, you, you look at a guy like Lincoln, it was the Democratic Party that doubled down on slavery, that, that, that fought against civil rights. Uh, and now, I'll, and if you doubt me, go back and look at some video of our current president, Joe Biden. Folks, it hasn't been that long ago. Joe Biden, if you look when he was Senator Joe Biden, he said some of the most racist statements ever. Yeah, uh, he, stuff he, that would make, he's used the N-word, yeah. Paul. He's used the N-word as a sitting senator making speech. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, again, I'll say to you again, you know, they work really hard. The liberal media, you know, is, is, is essentially a slave to that system at basically uh, trying to rewrite history. Jess. Yes. And yes. I thank God that he raised up a man like Abraham Lincoln. And by the way, yes, he was a Protestant. But if, if you notice anything, Jess, if you talk, if you saw his resolve, to you know, to, to to do the right thing, that was a more form, a more pure form of Protestantism than you see in a lot of circles today. Because you know, he understood that he you know was called to be obedient, that he had to uh, uh, live his faith uh, in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the opposition that would rise against him and there were many if we think we have problems now just imagine being in lincoln's Jeez. day and look at and by the way he gave Man. his life uh it costed him his life that yeah he was he was shot by uh he was shot by a white racist yes john wilkes booth yeah 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 the guy did and i'm sure i think i think i've read that uh it, in part it was because uh one of the reasons that he shot him is because he signed the emancipation proclamation that's why he hated him of of course, he was yeah. he he was still fighting the war for the South after the war was ended, thinking the South will rise again. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, well, here, here, here's another person that I give a lot of credit to eradicating slavery was St. Paul, the apostle, obviously influenced by the words of our, and, the, and, the, and the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But St. Paul wrote a letter to Philemon. It's, a, it's the shortest letter in the New Testament. And that letter, it's it's again that that had a lot to do also with little by little uh, abolishing slavery. Saint Paul talks about a, a slave Onesimus. He's a runaway slave from his master Philemon. Now Philemon was Saint Paul's friend, and Saint Paul converted him to Christianity. Onesimus ran away, made his way to Rome, and uh, and to Saint Paul. And Saint Paul told him, "You've got to go back to your master." <clears throat> but he also told Philemon. 
uh, I told your slave to come back to you, your runaway slave. Don't kill him because you, you can kill a runaway slave back then under Roman law. He told Philemon, forgive him and accept him back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. He said that in verse 16, because again, by Roman law, runaway slaves could be, be killed. And so mm-hmm. uh, when, when, when Onesimus was now a Christian and he, and he voluntarily returns back to his master Philemon and Philemon forgives him and actually sets him free. As St. Paul told him, St. Paul suggested, if he comes back, I'm going to suggest you treat him like a brother and set him free. And Philemon did that. Uh, And because Paul told Philemon to treat Onesimus as he would treat Paul himself. And so again, again, uh, this is a, this, the parallel to to Christ is obvious. And and, and Paul is is confident that this, that this Christ-like example will win Philemon's goodwill. And uh, so again... Yeah, this story it shows the way relationships are changed by Jesus Christ from slavery to freedom and from bondage yeah. to brotherhood. Yeah, and hence you have the sacred scripture that says, "In Christ there is neither slave nor free, no, no, no Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ." That's the eternal truth. That's the reality. Now, again, um, like anything. Uh, the Bible deals with things uh, in issues like slavery. It was a reality of the day. It wasn't going anywhere. And so Paul had to be wise. Like the sacred scripture tells us, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You know what I mean? And his advice literally, uh, uh, you know, benefited, uh, uh, you know, to the point that where he was saved from his slavery. Wow. The the sacred scripture is just such a, a, a beautiful beautiful gift that god has given to us and as as, it's the bedrock of west the the sacred scriptures is the bedrock of western civilization yes yeah all all the great literary thoughts the 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 phrases uh all the all the great literary books that have been written used as a template (laughs) yeah the holy bible is the template for anything great written in western civilization yeah, and so it's no surprise, uh, again, a lot of people don't realize that the large majority of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence were ordained ministers. Yes. And so no surprise that today when we see evil uh, uh, unleashed and, e- you know, uh, 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 there has been a systematic rejection of God, the Bible, and, uh, you know, and in, in addition, the Constitution, because like you said, uh, the Bible, in a sense, and, and God's word is, is really the, the main text that all yes. these things were drawn from. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Paul, let me give a little bit of Catholic history here. The first okay. person to ever speak out against slavery post-New Testament was St. Saint, Saint Patrick. He was a bishop of Ireland. In the 4th mm. century, he, he already uh, wrote to the uh, Irish Catholic Christians back 1,600 years ago, he condemned anybody who owned a slave. He says Catholics could not own slaves. You have other proclamations. Pope Paul III in 1537, he issued a royal proclamation known as the the New Laws of the Indies, which forbade slavery. Catholics could not Mm. own slaves, 1537. Pope Innocent XI, 1676, he also wrote and proclaimed a document that it was not permitted to buy and sell black slaves. Catholics could not engage in this activity. And so, uh, yeah, and then in August of 1862, 
Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation even five months before that, five months before Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation here in Cincinnati in the U.S., Archbishop John B. Purcell of Cincinnati publicly recommended the emancipation of all black slaves. So the Catholic Church has been a voice against slavery for centuries, way way before the... Yeah, and Jess, and why is that? It's because the Catholic Church is the body of Christ, and Christ came to set the captive free. And so it stands to reason that as the truth of the gospel uh, went out to mankind, uh, wherever the gospel is freely proclaimed, people are free, because the physical world is nothing more than a reflection of spiritual realities. Amen. And that's why we love being Catholic. When you look at Amen. I mean, just the glo- th- this is the glory of Catholicism, where the whole world yes. is embracing slavery. The Catholic Church, one century after another, is speaking out against it in Jesus' name. Hey, we're going to talk about another brave and courageous man, Blessed Cardinal Clemens von Galen, the Lion of Munster. Uh, yep, another another courageous uh, another courageous uh, man with fortitude. We'll talk. We'll share with you right now. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, Proverbs 27. We're going to talk about another man of God, another man of courage, another another, another man with fortitude. Uh, this bishop, Blessed Cardinal Clemens August Graf von Galen, also known as the Lion of Munster, was appointed Bishop of Munster in Germany in 1933 and held his office until his sudden death from a ruptured appendix in 1946. In my opinion, as I read this article, and I've read about him before, this bishop imitated the courage of his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah. It says here, during this time as Bishop of Munster, Galen focused on encouraging the faithful entrusted to his care to live a truly Christian life he aspired to be an example to them as bishop with courage and determination. Aware of his responsibility to do so, he did not shy away from the threat of being discredited by the government. In his pastoral letters and sermons, he criticized the anti-Catholic ideology of National Socialism and publicly spoke out against the crimes of the regimes, talking about here the Third Reich Nazism. So Bishop Galen was born in Dinklage Castle in Oldenburger, Munsterland in 1878 and christened, he was called Clemens in his baptism, uh, in August. He was the 11th of 13 children of a devout Catholic family whose faith shaped their day-to-day life. They attended Holy Mass daily and evening prayers were said together in the chapel of the castle. Von Galen wrote about his parents that they prayed the rosary together had a half hour of meditation daily and how his father always did a careful examination of conscience before going to bed. Wow. (laughs) This guy's dad, this man was the St. Joseph of the house, Paul. This guy was, his Mm. father was firing on all cylinders. Yes, indeed. Go ahead. Take up next couple of paragraphs. Okay. Our parents always gave us a superlative example of healthy, practical piety. Cardinal Galen said of his home about his siblings, Von Galen wrote, 
the most precious heritage they all receive from our parents is an unshakably strong Catholic faith and love for Holy Church, but also a generally serious view of life and an unusual degree of interest in an understanding of questions of public life, of the joys and sufferings of the church, the weal and woe of the people and of our country. And they have maintained this interest and understanding through life. The example set by his parents certainly laid the foundation for the bishop's virtuous character and outlook on life. He was very much aware of the importance of a good upbringing and education, and as a bishop campaigned staunchly for the preservation of Catholic denominational schools. He knew that the foundations of a truly Christian attitude to life must be laid in the home and in the schools. In a pastoral from 1937, he admonished the parents of his diocese. For it is your right and your duty to provide first and foremost for the instruction and education of the children entrusted to you by God. Parents, listen up. I'm going I'm to repeat that one. For it is your right and your duty to provide first and foremost for the instruction and education of the children entrusted to you by God. Schools are designed to help you accomplish this task. Therefore, it is your duty to send your children to schools that will guide and educate them in accordance with God's truth and command. In 1896, Blessed Cardinal Galen passed the German arbiter at a grammar school in Vechta, a neighboring town of Dink, uh, Dinklage in 1897. He began studying at the University of Freiburg, I'm not German, so excuse me if I'm butchering this stuff. <laughs> As a young student, he learned, uh, he soon felt a, voc a vocation to the priesthood, and after reading philosophy and theology in Innsbruck and Munster, was ordained a priest in Munster in 1904. His first appointment as priest was a position as cathedral vicar there. However, in 1906, However, okay, okay, yeah. Von Galen no, left the city to spend a, a total of 23 years in Berlin in pastoral work. He lived through the, through the years of the First World War and the Weimar Republic there. In 1929, he returned to Munster as a parish priest and was ordained bishop on October 16, 1933, a few months after Adolf Hitler had come to power. Talk about a horrible assignment as a bishop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just as von Galen constantly reminded his faithful of their responsibilities, he also took his own Episcopal duties very seriously. He used to say, quote, neither through, neither, neither through praise nor through fear, close quote. This was the heraldic motto of the von Galen family, and the blessed cardinal lived by it faithfully all his life. In his Easter pastoral letter, letter in, 18, in 1934, which was read from every pulpit in his diocese. <laughs> Remember, Hitler's the Fuhrer at this point, okay? Mm. Bishop von Galen warned his faithful about the anti-Catholic ideologies of the Nazi regime. He pointed out the doctrines of the superiority of a particular race, the denial of sin, original sin, revelation, and the need for a redeemer. 
as well as the instrumentalization of religion as elements of such anti-Catholic tendencies. Can you imagine a bishop writing a letter telling all the priests in the diocese to warn us about Biden and his wicked executive orders? This nah, he's, he's cut from a different cloth, Jess. I, I think you're right, Paul. Von Galen understood that this heresy would not only seriously endanger the salvation of souls, but would also, at the same time, represent an attack on coexistence, society, and culture. Paul, you want to tell us what his, what his pastoral letter said? or, or uh, It says, with reference to the papal encyclical Caritate Christi, Cardinal Galen wrote the following in a pastoral letter at Easter in 1934. What did he write, Paul? He wrote, Belief in God, in fact, the indestructible foundation uh, is, in fact, the indestructible foundation of every social or order and every responsibility on earth. Therefore, all those who do not want anarchy and terror must do their utmost to ensure that the enemies of religion do not achieve the goal they so openly proclaim. Wow. Yeah. For since all humanity, all human authority must needs rest on the recognition of God as on the firm foundation of any civil order. Those who would not have all things overturned and all laws abrogated must strive strenuously to prevent the enemies of religion from giving effect to the plans which they have so openly and so vehemently proclaimed. Therefore, a bishop must remain must not remain silent. When heresy and unbelief raise their heads, are you listening, bishops? Wow. The words that St. Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy are addressed to every bishop in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And, and for those of you who don't know, that's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It would do you well to memorize that. Von <laughs> uh, Galen... What a what a what a what a letter! Von Galen rejected yeah. the false ideology of the Nazis from the start. He condemned the increasing atrocities of the Nazi regime regime, and denounced the actions of the members of the government responsible for them. When mentally ill patients were taken away from hospitals and institutions and murdered, Von Galen wrote to the provincial government to object and file the complaint. He also accused the authorities of the arbitrary imprisonment of innocent Germans and the expropriation and expulsion of many religious. Bishop Galen also emphasized the importance of faith of, of, of fulfilling one's of, of one's duties to one's family at work within the community. 
in order to serve God in the kingdom of God on earth, one's fellow human beings, the people, and the state. During the Nazi era, however, here's the faithful to obey God more than the state. Sounds like St. Peter in Acts 5.29. Von Galen did not reject the state per se. He saw state power as necessary and instituted by God. However, the state as an authority must serve the well-being of the people and submit to God's commandments. Here, here. He writes, the mm-hmm. bishop writes, For whenever the commands issued by a human authority contradict the will of God as clearly known and witnessed in, in its own conscience, such an authority will cease to be God's servant it will destroy its own dignity, lose its right to command. It will, be, it will be abusing its power to reward and punish and wickedly seeking to debase a God-given liberty of the human personality, the image of God in man. The, wow. dict- the, dictatorial wow. re- yeah. the dictatorial regimes of the 20th century have shown very clearly that injustice and, inequi- and iniquity are always associated with arbitrariness. Concerning this point, Bishop Van Galen said... None of us, even though he may know himself to be, to be the most loyal, most conscientious citizen, even though he may know himself to be completely innocent, can be certain that he will not one day be taken out of his apartment, deprived of his liberty, and imprisoned in the cellars in concentration camps of the Gestapo, the secret state police. Wow, sounds like the Biden administration. Sounds like what he did to the Hulk family. Sounds like what he did to, to Trump. Sounds like what he did to the January 6th prisoners. Sounds very similar to the Biden administration, Paul. Yes. Yes, Jess, and uh, let me just make one comment, Jess. Listen, I pray. I hear the music. I hear the music. Hurry up. Would, yeah, we'll talk on the other side of the break. Yep. <laughs> I hear the music. Yep. <laughs> If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Cardinal Von Galen, I think he's Venerable Von Galen now. Pray for us. Uh, we, yes. need, we, we need more men of his, uh, of, of, that have his steel spine. Uh, yes. The article says, the above, points up, the above points up an important principle of uh, Cardinal Galen's approach to resistance, heresy, and justice and persecution must be fought as soon as they are recognized. Heresies must be fought because of their very existence and must not be tolerated. If we all wait until we ourselves are directly affected by injustice, a disastrous ideology will already have have been accepted by most of society, and it will usually be too late to avert the crimes that logically follow from it. Once a certain stage has been passed, Even those who share the same ideology will no longer be protected from the arbitrary decisions and measures of an unjust state. Paul, what did he say in a 1941 sermon? Yeah, in a 1941 sermon, Von Galen gave a very specific answer to the question of how to act when forced to deal with an unjust state. We must accept uh, uh, unreservedly and without compromise, the truth that God healed and live our lives by it. We must make the divine commandments the guiding principle of our lives and take seriously the exhortation that it is better to die than to sin. 
Oh, I'm going to say that one again, Jess. Mm. We must take mm. seriously the exhortation that it is better to die than, than to wow. sin. In prayer and sincere penance, we must beg God's forgiveness and mercy upon us, upon our city, our country, and our beloved, uh, in this case, German people. Uh, we cannot use arms against the enemy within who torments and batters us. We only have one weapon left to stand up strong and tough and and to endure uh harden yourselves and stay strong at this moment we are not the hammer but the anvil others mostly strangers and apostolates are hammering us want to use violence to reshape our people ourselves our youth to bend them from their upright attitude towards God. Yes, he Sounds saw like he's talking this. right now. Sounds like he's talking yes, about 2023. Absolutely, Jess. Absolutely. He saw clearly that this was, listen, it, he's calling essentially for martyrdom. He's calling us all hands on deck, be brave. Let's do whatever it takes to stand against the wickedness of the devil. Paul, um, I'll tell you, you know why, because you know, he, re he remembers, he lived... When when uh, Adolf Hitler was forcing was conscript conscripting young men into what's yes. called Hitler's youth, uh, yeah. Uh, Joseph Ratzinger was conscripted yes. at the age of fourteen into Hitler's youth, yes. and yes. Uh, he went AWOL. It, it was like it was yes. like they call like the, the Devil Pups of the Marines. You know the the kind of the the kid yeah. program ROTC. That's what he was. Yeah. Hitler was doing. He was conscripting hey. young men, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Joseph Ratzinger and went AWOL as soon as yeah. he could. Yeah, and it just goes to show you that here the devil, he raises up this, this antichrist Hitler, and God says, and through that pressure and through that furnace, he brings us a saintly pope. You know mm. what I mean? Uh, mm. only, wow. only God can do that. Yeah, only yeah. God can do that. You see, what the devil means for evil, God can turn around and use it for Amen. his good. Yeah, and, and he did so in the life of Joseph Ratzinger. Yes, Continue, uh, Paul. What else does it say here? Yeah. Um, okay. Von Galen did not preach revolution, but resistance through faithful fulfillment of duty, love of country, and an unshakable commitment to the truth. Cardinal Galen uh, considered the spread of the true Catholic faith and a life lived in constant awareness of one's own uh, finiteness and the fact that one day we will be called upon to render an account of our actions before God to the best prerequisites of a fair and happy society and thus the safest protection against an unjust state. Jess, you always talk about uh, you always talk about our exit interview, mm -hmm. you know, and and uh, he, you know, you know, you're right there with, with the Cardinal here. The Blessed Cardinal was aware of the risk he was taking in his public speeches and actions against the regime. As early as 1936, von Galen issued guidelines for his diocese that were intended to guarantee uh, the continued existence of church life in the event of his wow. being arrested. Because his reputation and popularity among the faithful, the dared not harm von Galen. Mm. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, you know, they wanted to arrest Jesus, 
but but they couldn't. You know what I mean? God yeah. God wasn't allowing it. He caused them to fear. And that's what happens. Darkness fears the light for fear that it will be exposed. Amen. Um, Let me pick it up from here. Yes. Let me pick it up. It says, uh, this this was uh, the Cardinal's motto. He used to say, quote, neither through praise nor through fear. This was Cardinal uh, Gallen's uh, motto, motto. Always trusting in God's help and the support of his faithful, Cardinal von Gallen remained his tower of strength despite the threats to his, to his freedom and his life. Because of his courage and his unshakable steadfastness, he was later often described as, quote, the Lion of Munster, close quote. Yeah, just uh, like his master, the Lion of Judah. The Cardinal never lost hope. Here's what he said. If we continue, if we remain faithful in our struggle, then the day will come when all, when all this spirit, this iron will, now suppressed and condemned to silence, will reemerge. Truth and justice will be honored again. And we will once again be able as Christians to work on building a Christian Germany. Close quote. Then he says, stay true to the true faith. Always fulfill your professional duties to the best of your knowledge and belief, no matter what the cost. If we, as devout Catholics, follow in the footsteps of blessed Cardinal Gellin today, so too we will be able to stay with confidence in the last hours of our life. The words of St. Paul will be on our lips and we will say, I have fought the good fight, completed the mm-hmm. run, and stayed true to the faith. Now the mm-hmm. prize awaits me, the laurel wreath of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the great day of his return. Amen. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul, my, my, my comments is that we need a thousand cardinals like Cardinal Van Galen. Pray for us. He yes. was a lion for the faith. He yes. represented the Catholic faith well. And upon his death, I have no doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ, the good Lord, looked at him and said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the kingdom of God prepared for you from before the foundations of the world. And speaking yes. about truth, this, this, was, this man was a truth teller with a capital T. It reminds me yes. what St. Augustine says about the Catholic Church. When the Catholic hmm. Church is practiced, St. Augustine says about the Catholic faith the following, quote, the Catholic faith is like a lion. Just let it out of its cage and it defends itself. Close. I love it. Let the tiger out of the cage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listen, listen, Jess. My take on this whole matter is, you know, I pray. Remember what the Lord said. He said, told the apostles, you shall receive power. The power, dunamis, the, the, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit, yeah. you know, is available, ready and available for all who would dare to ask for it. And I pray, I pray for the bishops in our church, the bishops in this country to, 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 to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and stand Come against the Come evilness Lord. of the day. Because the evil, listen, this is our opportunity. God has given us, uh, there's nothing happening that God hasn't permitted to happen because uh, God is all powerful. And if God is allowing this, it is because he is giving us an opportunity to, 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 number one, demonstrate that we love him, that we love his commandments, that we're willing to die. No greater love is this that a man lay down his life and die for his. God has given us that opportunity. And I say, wake up. Do not uh, bow down to the zeitgeist, the spirit of this world, but be transformed into the image of the glorious Jesus Christ. 
Amen. This is our Esther moment. We were born yes. for such a time as this, and we got to rise to the occasion. Catholics, wake up and don't hit the snooze button. The time for yes. wavering is over. The time for playing, for playing with your faith is over. Whatever's in your life that's preventing you from the high calling of giving your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? then it's time to get rid of those impediments and it's time now to put on the banner of Christ. It's, yes. it's right now, it's time to, to, to follow that high calling that you were called to at baptism and yes. confirmation. There, Amen. There's no other choice for us as Catholics. Our choice is this, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's it. And, and what, whatever society brings at us, whatever this culture of death, this woke culture brings against us, guess what? Bring it on. Because we're going to follow Jesus Christ. We will not bow down our knees to the zeitgeist, to the false yes. gods of Baal. We will only bow to the God who is the Father and Lord of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Catholics, Amen, when, my, when I used to play Little League sports, football, baseball, basketball, my coaches would say, Jess, you know, to us kids, go out there and leave it all out on the field. Well, I'm telling you right yes. now, Catholics, yes. make sure that before you die, you leave it all out on the field for Jesus Christ. Paul? Amen. Yeah, listen, God has already given us the tools that we need. He's given us the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the belt and the shoes of peace. He has already equipped us to go out onto the field and to do battle. And I call you guys, listen, prayer, prayer, prayer. Like Jess used to say always, uh, prayer is like carpet bombs, you know, to the enemy. Yeah. This is what we need to do. These are our weapons. Our weapons aren't to go out and, you know, buy an AR-15. You know, a lot of a lot of people who you know, it's not the who, answer. Who it's not the answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not the answer. That's not the resistance. The resistance is the same resistance that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ offered. And He says, uh, uh, when Pilate asked him, He says, "Do you not know I have the power to crucify you?" And Jesus told him, "You have no power over me that my Father hasn't given you. And by the way, you can't take what I freely give." Ooh, Amen. You know. Here the battle cry of the crusaders in the middle ages, Christus vincit, Christus yes. reinat, Christus imperat. Christ conquers, yes. Christ reigns, Christ commands. Let, let that battle cry, that royal praise that we yes. have proclaimed throughout history in battles, let that be burned in your heart. Hey, Paul, that's Indeed. a wrap. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics, coming to us from the Midwest Command Center. As for me and Paul, we are EOW, end of watch, 10-7, out of service. Uh, for Jesus 911, but guess what? We're always on duty for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we're always on duty Amen. and at the service of the Queen Mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.